Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Gravity Podcast, where we host conversations on developing a Christian spirituality rooted in love that fosters resilient faith in everyday life. Good day, listener. This is the slightly nasal and uh, high-pitched tones of Matt Tebby. I'm joined by my friends, Christy Penley and Ben Sternke. Good day, friends. Good day. Slightly nasal and high-pitched, huh? Yeah. I just actually put something on social media about how I used to get misgendered Mm -hmm. at (laughs) drive-thrus and uh, during solicitors calling me. Christy knows these stories. I totally do know these stories. So often they'd be like, (laughs) ma'am. Ma'am. I got called ma'am all the time. And I would like hang, I'd come on Friday evenings when Sharon and I would drive to go see Christy and her husband and hang out. This is like 20 years ago now. Uh, I'd be like, well, I got another ma'am. I got ma'amed again this week. Ma'amed again. Wow. A ma'am story. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny though. I I actually, I actually put that up on social media a couple of years ago just to be like, hey, you know, this, I laughed about it. But it bothers mm-hmm. some people to get misgendered, you know, f- for whatever reason, people get misgendered. And the comments were brutal. People were like, no, you didn't. I, you're a liar. I don't believe you. And then, and then they, they started said this about, they then, said this to you on social media about this? Yeah. Then they started mocking me. The oh. only reason you'd get misgendered is if you were a soy, soy boy, effeminate, whatever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What the yeah, it's brutal. Listen, somebody said something to you on social media not too long ago, and it made me cry. Mm. Like, no joke. I actually said to Paul, I'm like, this is bananas to me. I cannot believe that people say this kind of junk. And it it bothered me so much. I I was like, I just want to be off social media. My response was just like, I'm off forever, right? Um, I just can't believe that somebody was rude on social media. (laughs) I've never heard of that. (laughs) That's funny. What what do they say, Chrissy? Do you remember what they said? That made you cry? I, I like don't. I, yeah, I don't remember the exact words, but like somehow somebody commenting um, actually had tagged the wrong person, and oh. so the person that they tagged was pissed because they were like, "I don't like Matt Tevy," and they like said all this stuff, and I was like, "That is my friend, y'all! Like, quit talking <laughs> like that." Oh, good. So, I actually, um, I, I went through about a dozen or two dozen uh, nasty comments in my head, and that wasn't one of them. I don't oh, think I saw no. it. So. <laughs> So sorry. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Uh, anyway. anyway, well, Christy, you actually um, have something going on at your church this summer that you we want to mention yes. because it's exciting opportunity. Y'all, come be my intern. That is what I want. Um, <laughs> I hire summer in, summer interns. It's a ten week internship in the in the family and student department at Pulver Rock Church. Um, and mostly it is like, you know, college students or just out of college. Um, it's free housing and mm. mostly free uh, meals because the host family, like, you know, 
gives you all the food that you need. Um, it's not a lot of money, but most internships are free. So if I'm giving you some money, that's got to be something, right? Yep. yep. I think that's something, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm and, thinking about applying. So then um, we have work then we have work to do. Well, I I was just thinking that it might be fun to just be an intern at a church again. <laughs> it would be so, <laughs> so fun. <laughs> Turn back the clock. What can what, I Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, working with Christy, you're not only like an intern, but like I guarantee you'll be at her house several times a month. Yeah. And Every Tuesday, people. Ev- you get okay. to have family dinner honor- with the Penleys. You'll be an honorary kid. An yeah. honorary right. Penley kid. That's right. Um, no, yeah, we do like we the- one-on-one you know, meetings, like discipleship, group discipleship. We're actually reading your book, y'all. Uh, having mm. the mind of Christ mm-hmm. uh, together as part of it. Um, there's one-on-one uh, mentoring. You get to do all these fun events, um, mission trips to the Denver. Mm. You know, working with houseless friends and anyway, learning how to teach all different ages. And mm-hmm. um, you know, and- my hope is that at the end of the internship, you would not that you have to know if you want to be in some sort of ministry, but that you would at least have a taste of what to, what is it like yeah. to be a family and student pastor and you know, and now you know what it, the, the parts of it. So, yeah. And you get to enjoy the Rocky Mountains. Come on, Colorado. There's mm-hmm. not a better I, place to live. I think mm. that settles it, uh, Matt. I'm applying. Christy, how, <laughs> how do I apply for this internship? How can one find the internship? There will be uh, in the show notes, you, there's a, a QR code and you can, I don't know, you can apply. There's a QR code. Yeah. Did you put there's that a, in there? There's a link. Well, we can put a, we won't need a QR code and we can just put the link. So Okay. There's a link and you apply and it comes to my mailbox and then I do a, a um, interview online with my whole team. And um, yeah, we have- Interview we with have, your whole team? I've, that sounds intimidating. I don't think I'm no, going to apply no, anymore. No, it's going to be great. No, come oh, on. Okay. It's going right, to be great. Uh, they're not intimidating. They're, they're okay. a great team. But I've hired <laughs> one intern, but we have money to hire more. And so, um, okay. so come on, apply. Yeah. All right. All right. Yep. That Sounds does sound good. like a, an exciting thing. And listener, if you're interested, you can email Christy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah, check out that please. link. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also, Ben and I are planning a, a book event. We're going to do a, a joint live podcast with Inglewood Review of Books and our friend Chris Smith. Um, he is he lives in Indianapolis with us. And so if you're local, if you're around March 23rd uh, at 7 p.m., we're going to do a live interview with one of the authors of a book that I read just finished last week. It's probably, it's one of the top books I've read in the last couple of years. And the title is Beyond Justification, Liberating Paul's Gospel. And um, John DePew wrote this with Doug Campbell, who's a New Testament uh, professor at Duke University. And mm-hmm. it is incredible. So if you want to hang out, be a part of a live uh, podcast recording, ask questions, uh, Ben and I are going to try to grab some people maybe for dinner beforehand. Uh, and or drinks after, um, you can check yeah. out the link in the show yep. notes that will magically appear there. Whenever I say there's a link in the show notes, it just magically appears. That's it how does. podcasting works. That's yes. <laughs> That's how fact. Ben works. Ben just does that all for uh, us. Thank you. Yes, these things. I believe rack there are up in my mind. So. I believe there are fairies, little fairies that do magical acts mm-hmm. according to the podcast rules. Little yes, Ben, yes. Ben fairies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's how AI works. That's what AI does. So oh, just man. adds links. Ooh, I'm gonna take a picture of you and and get the get the wings. 
It's going to be great. Yes. Oh, that'd yes. be great. Oh, anyway, we'll we'll talk about this more. You'll have a plenty of chance to register, but um, we're expecting, I think, a lot of people there because of not only local people through our networks and our church and our diocese, but also uh, Inglewood's review of books and their their um, their networks as well. So make sure you register. And if uh, you register at a certain price point, you get a book with the registration. So yay! Hooray! Mm-hmm. But today we're we're interviewing. Who are we interviewing? Angela Harrington. Why do you ask? All right. Well, because I wasn't on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, Angela was great. We uh, we're talking about her book, Deconstructing Your Faith Without Losing Yourself. And Angela is actually a coach that sort of midwives or walks with people who are going through mm-hmm. kind of faith deconstruction. She's written this wonderful book that really is um, just just about being a loving presence for people to encounter God in in the midst of what they are needing to get rid of or process mm, yeah. or heal from. And um, I remember, um, I really like her energy. Ben. Yes. Some, sometimes sometimes the uh, people can't match our energy. And we I think we, um, I don't know, scare people a bit. But she <laughs> gave us plenty of energy. And, I, yeah. and it was a really uh, fascinating conversation. So, Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Should we get into it? Let's I think so. It. Here we go. Angela Harrington joins us today on the Gravity Podcast. She's a Lark's Song Certified Life Coach and holds a BA in Biblical Studies from Indiana Wesleyan and an MA in Leadership from Wesley Seminary. She helps those deconstructing find their faith and heal from their religious trauma and cultivate healthy spirituality. Today, she joins us to talk about her latest book, Deconstructing Your Faith Without Losing Yourself. Angela, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Listened for a long time. It's fun to be on this side of things. Oh, cool. Good. Well, we've done a series on deconstruction, and I um, obviously your book is just brand new, just out. And so it wasn't obviously available uh, to us or for us for that series, but this is a great sort of uh, coda uh, here. Tell us, maybe to begin, how did you get into... This very this very specific niche of coaching people who are deconstructing from their religiously traumatic people business, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, how did you how did you choose it, or did it choose you? How did that work out? I I think like the best ministry opportunities and and you know the best callings that we have it happened organically. I had an online mystery a ministry for women um, a little over a decade ago and started doing coaching. And in hindsight, a lot of the people that were coming to me with help sorting out their ministries or sorting out their personal beliefs were in some stage of deconstruction. We didn't have the word then. Um, We definitely didn't have any books about it. So it was just sorting to take shape at that point. And as I spent more time, went back to seminary, really got embedded in the space, it became very clear that this was the term and this was the community that was growing that I was already a part of. Um, so the the label came last. The label came after the the work had been happening for many years. Hmm. Hmm. And did you find that 
your interest in this came from your own personal story, or was it the people around you needing something and you having to learn about it? It's really, it's a little bit of both, actually, because the the ministry work that I was doing was really about embracing doubt and understanding that um, from my perspective and what I believe to be true is that, that there is no limit on God's love. Um, so whatever we're wrestling with, wherever we're at, there's this sort of no matter what that it would always come at the end of um, my interviews and at the end of some of the blogs and the conversations I had with people. So that work was happening already. Um, even while I was wrestling with my own doubts and, and questioning and trying to figure out my calling, was I supposed to get ordained and go to a brick and mortar church? Was I supposed to stay in this online space? All of that was happening behind the scenes. Uh, so it was really an, an both and type uh, origin story. Not great for Marvel, nothing super dramatic, just sort of with time, it's how it happened. All right. Well, Ben, could you message Marvel back? I know they were asking us if we could turn this podcast into a trilogy. Yeah. Unfortunately. Oh, my kids are going to be so mad at me that I blew yeah. that. Oh, please don't yeah, air that part. You shouldn't have said that. Yeah. I know. My bad. That's mm. funny. You know, we have a lot of listeners. Um, I actually have a lot of friends and and even pastors who are saying they're going through it or, you know, either them, they're going through it themselves or their friends are going through it. Um, and I'm curious for you to answer, kind of double click, what are some of the misconceptions that we have about deconstruction? And, and what have you learned about deconstruction that you think would maybe benefit us to hear? Yeah, I think the biggest myth and the one that is really the most harmful is that deconstruction is somehow the easy way out for people who are spiritually lazy or mm. people who just don't want the accountability. I'm using air quotes. Don't want the accountability of a church or of a doctrine or, or, or even of God. And that is so not true. Many, many of my clients are actively in ministry or were in ministry before burning out because they didn't have permission from their community and from their mentors to ask the questions we ask in deconstruction. So there's a lot of myths, but that's really the one that on one hand, it makes me angry. And on the other, it just breaks my heart because people aren't getting the support that they need to spiritually flourish. I think the other kind of misconceptions are that deconstruction is like a prodigal season. Like, oh yeah, just go out, do what you got to do as long as you come back. And I think that if we really are honestly going into deconstruction, we don't get to define the end at the beginning of the journey. Yeah. It's just like faith, right? Like, could we could we say exactly where we're going to end on the last day of our life? Probably not. I mean, we could, but mm -hmm. if we're obsessing about where we're going to be at the end of deconstruction, then there are things we take off the table. We say, oh, can't challenge those things. Can't ask those questions. And and it it almost like builds these little silos spiritually. And unfortunately, it just festers sometimes. We work really, really, really hard to hold on to those things, even if those things aren't actually the big T truths that we thought they were. And it's just mm -hmm. devastating for people. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard though, isn't it? Like, I think so many of us come from religious systems where it's, it's, it's built upon certainty or certitude being, uh, you know, being right, being certain of the things we hope for, right. You know, to quote, 
uh, an old book. And so I, th- I think to give ourselves permission to do that, even even give ourselves permission to do what you're saying, Angela, feels like losing something. Doesn't yeah. it? Doesn't it feel like a faith crisis to do that? And I, I would say, yes, it is losing something because when we're raised with this idea that certainty is holiness, then all we have to do is be certain. And we know we're like safe, right? We know that we're, we're on the right path. And even when bad things happen, and even when we struggle, as long as we're on that path, we'll be okay. So many of my clients, especially those who are pastors or perhaps married to a pastor or the child of a pastor, letting go of that certainty is usually the most traumatic piece. It's also the greatest roadblock. Not being able to let go of the need for certainty keeps people trapped in traumatic situations way longer than those who can say, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's ahead of me, but I know what's happening right now is killing me. Hmm. Sometimes physically, sometimes just spiritually. But feeling that pain and that stuckness in the moment is often what gives people the courage and the willingness to say, I don't know, certainty is out the window. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you mentioned traumatic situations and you talk a bit in your book about one of the one of the causes maybe of trauma or or harm or moral injury and that is what you call toxic religion mm-hmm. could you define what that is what are you referring to when you use the phrase toxic religion yeah for me the the kind of you know footnote of a definition is religion that harms and tells you that it's god's will it doesn't have to be christian right it could be different religions but um you know I'm not actually harming you. I'm doing this for your benefit. And God says, this is what I should do. But what's being done is actually abusive, whether that's visual, physical abuse, sexual abuse, all the different types of abuse, or if it's just kind of manipulative and controlling and exploiting you and saying it's God's will, that's toxic religion. That's that's big harm that's being done and being credited or blamed on God. Yeah. So maybe you can help us here. I mean, I'm I'm a pastor. Christy's a pastor. Uh, Ben's a pastor and a dog owner. And um, there are times, there are times, Angela, when I've been in leadership settings, and somebody somebody tells me that my impact is harmful, mm-hmm. and I disagree or I don't see it. Yeah. Right. How how. Those of us who lead things, who have authority, right? Even if it's a, a parent or as a caregiver to someone, how do we respond when somebody perceives or experiences us as harmful so that we don't compound the harm? I'm so glad you asked that because the first thing that we need to be doing is not allowing our defensiveness to overwhelm that conversation and take control of the conversation because we're scared of being wrong. That's the biggest thing. And I, I, you know, I know we're talking about leadership here, but I have to tell you, deconstruction has radically changed the way I parent because I realized how harmful authoritarian leadership is. I realized that the hard way, right? So in this kind of situation, we're going to be challenged. 
and we're going to be wrong, but we're also going to be challenged when we're not wrong. And what really I think defines a good leader is how we respond in that moment. Do we allow the person to explain their very real experience? And can we remain humble enough that we don't have to shut it down? Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to like, we're not going to revel in other people abusing us, right? There's, there's still healthy boundaries here. But when someone's pointing something out to us, are we willing to accept what they're saying? Let them know that we don't see it, but we are going to invest the effort into getting some counsel and taking a beat and just saying, okay, what part of this is my responsibility and what isn't? That's what it means to be a good leader, but that's really vulnerable and that's really humble. And that's really involves a lot of uncertainty that we're kind of taught to shy away from in most environments. Yeah. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying some new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, Go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. It's such a tricky, um, I find it tricky. I don't know if that's the right word, but it it's a delicate and um, difficult place to be in, uh, in those situations, because I think the other mistake that I see some leaders make is they automatically take responsibility for every experience of hurt Mm -hmm. that happens on the other end of that, even when it really is not their responsibility. And that actually doesn't help either. It doesn't help, you know, the, the leader, but it doesn't, it doesn't actually help resolve any of the issues of the person coming to them. And so I think, I think that, um, I think your, your, um, your advice is really wise, that I think the way that we get through that and sort that out is by not knee-jerking our way into defensive, defending my intentions. No, mm-hmm. I didn't do that to you. Or knee-jerking our way into, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll behave differently from now on, right? Because that actually right. doesn't help sort out what's, what's really going on here. But I think that that initial posture of humility is so important that, that you mentioned where we just say, oh, I like, I didn't expect somebody to respond to me this way. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me think about that with this person. Like, tell yeah. me more about that, you know? And so, um, I found it really helpful, I guess, just to, just to be aware that I can, I can apologize for the impact of my actions, even when my intentions were not to cause that impact. I can apologize for that without taking responsibility for everything that someone perceives me to have done. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And, anyway. I, and I think it's really important that we do our own work as leaders, which I know, mm-hmm. you know, people who serve pastors, teachers, nurses, all of us that are in these caregiving roles, we barely have time to eat lunch and take a nap, much right. less actually do the deep healing work that is required mm-hmm. to be able to navigate these high need spaces. And so learning what my defense mechanisms are helps yes. me catch them sooner. Yeah. And takes time. It really takes a lot of time to develop that, but it, it puts things in your toolbox that you can grab a hold of when somebody's giving you honest feedback or when somebody's totally attacking you for no reason. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like yeah. your response is, is your responsibility no matter what's coming at you. So right. understanding like, oh yeah, I go right to shutting it down. I go right to, oh, I got to get out of here which is why some people apologize. Um, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, the, whatever that response is, understanding how that kicks in and when that kicks in and how to respond in a healthy way yeah. is a game changer. It's an mm-hmm. absolute game changer. Yeah, that's really helpful. That's really good. I actually just recently received an email from somebody and it was triggering mm-hmm. to me. And I was I worked at home that day and so my husband was there and I'm like, could you read this email for me and then tell me, how do you hear that? And so he read it and his response was like, seems like they're just giving you information. I'm like, that's super helpful, like super helpful to hear. But I I do think that it was my counselor that helped me see like to be open to other, to know like when I'm getting triggered, could there be another Mm -hmm. way? Could there be another way to like interpret this and then to actually utilize like, Hey, help me interpret this. Is this really what's going on? Anyway, all of that has been hard work, but I think worth it, you know? Yeah. So I, because sometimes we get triggered because um, something in us is unhealed. Other times we get triggered because somebody has got like mountain climbing spikes and is stepping on a tender place in our soul. And the way that we respond is often the same. But it can be catastrophic when someone is being extremely vulnerable with someone who has power, right? As leaders, we have some power over people that we serve. When someone is being incredibly vulnerable and courageous and saying, hey, you know that thing that you said? Um, those, Those words that you used are actually rooted in racism. And I'm white. They didn't harm me, but they harmed other people in our community. Could you do some, like read this article and maybe do it different next time? If we go in there with defensiveness and shut them down, how are we rewarding their courage? How are we rewarding their willingness to invest in us as leaders and keep us from harming people? Yeah. Well, we're we're abusing them. We're shutting them down. We're yeah. sending them away because we know better. Like, ugh, yes. ugh gross. Yes. That's but, toxic religion right there. Right. But Angela. Yeah. At the risk of mansplaining for the sake of a joke, uh, don't you know that culturally it's worse to point out somebody's racism than it is for them to be a racist? That like- does <laughs> seem to be a trend, doesn't it? That does. And I, and I think it's, I think it's way easier for us to avoid these things when they don't yeah. impact us, when they, yes. when they don't impact us. Right. Um, and maybe that impact us should be in air quotes because if our neighbors are suffering, shouldn't that impact us? If yeah. we're not noticing their suffering, if we're not noticing the harm we're doing, mm-hmm. um, isn't that hard heartedness? Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Well, even the, even the way that you reframed, you know, someone coming to you and asking you to reconsider, you know, the way that you use, you know, words or phrases to say, Hey, this comes from a racist lens, you know, that kind of thing. Even the way you framed that, not as them coming at you or canceling you, but you framed it as them helping you and serving you and investing in you as a leader. Mm -hmm. Um, even that is, I think, a helpful way for us to think about this, to be like, oh, this person is investing in me, um, you know, because they've come to me with this concern, you know, in that way. So, yeah. Anyway, that's, and that's and even if it feels like they're not investing in you, even if it makes it harder for you to do your job as a leader, yeah. they're investing in the community. They're investing right. in the mission. And mm-hmm. sometimes when we agree to pursue a mission together, I'm, I'm going to have to offer you counsel you don't want because we have agreed that that's, that mission is what we're both here to serve. That's good. Yeah. I wonder if, um, kind of, uh, getting back to, uh, the topic of deconstruction, um, you mentioned a couple, a a couple things at the beginning of ways that maybe deconstruction is uh, misconceived. Um, but maybe you could uh, let us know about some of the ways that you've seen Christians respond unhelpfully uh, to deconstruction. How, how have, um, what are some unhelpful ways to, to respond to that? Um, well, the defensiveness we just talked about is a big one. Um, this is probably going to make some people mad, but apologetics, apologetics is a, a battle strategy. It's a defensive strategy to defend what you believe and convince other people that this is the one true way. So when someone is doubting, when someone is uncertain, when someone is courageously saying, you know, I don't actually know what I believe, and you come at them with a battle plan, it's horrible. You're pushing people away and you're showing that you're actually not trustworthy enough to be in this conversation. So when I, when I see the theology, when I see our beliefs and our personal experiences being weaponized to prove other people that they just don't have the right answer and that's why they're deconstructing, it makes me mad. <laughs> As you could probably tell from my expression, mm-hmm. it makes me mad because it is so harmful and so egotistical to believe that what I learned in college what I learned in that class or what I learned from that anti-deconstruction apologetics manual is actually compassionate and more important in that conversation than the person whose heart is breaking and doesn't even know what they believe about God anymore. That's cruel. That's really cruel. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the difference between seeing somebody as injured and seeing somebody as wicked. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think we I think you're talking about police energy. Yep. When people need to have um doctor energy or yeah. you know what I'm saying or medic energy. Yeah. Or even like grandmotherly energy. There you go. Yeah. Right? Right? I don't need you to fix me. I just need a snack and a nap. I just, I, I'm thinking of my grandmother's and tears are coming mm-hmm. to my eyes. I just need you to say, sweetie, it's okay. Yeah. Even if it's not. Like, not because you're lying to me, yeah. but because you care enough about me and you trust me enough 
to know that I will be okay. Even if I have to walk through hell to get there, I'm going to be okay. That's what, that's what deconstructors need. If they have questions about your theology, they'll ask. I mean, I can Google. Information is not a problem. Deconstruction is not a lack of information because we all have Google. And if that's all it was, nobody would need me, right? It's like saying that, that people need to go to church because we're not all pastors, right? No, we, we go into these conversations. We go into these seasons of questioning and doubting because it's more than just the knowledge that's in our head. A lot of times we need the compassion. We just need someone to say, hey, you know what? It's actually okay that you don't know. We can, we can still have this conversation, even if an, you and I completely disagree on things, because I care about you as a human being. I can listen. I can listen. I'm curious to hear, like, do you think that people struggle with having this posture of compassionate curiosity when people are in the midst of deconstruction because they're personalizing it to themselves? That if my daughter, if my son is in the midst of deconstruction and I show them compassionate curiosity and ask them questions, somehow they believe the lie that that is like, I don't know, their identity or they freak out because they haven't been maybe ever felt safe enough to ask those questions yeah. themselves or like school us in that. Yeah, a I, bit. I think it's from centuries of the love the sinner, hate the sin doctrine. But then I, as a human being, get mm-hmm. to define what sin is. And so if you're asking about something that I don't believe in and nobody in my, uh, you know, in my church or none of my pastors or none of my families have ever asked those questions, then you must be headed towards sin and I need to save you. So it's white saviorism, Mm -hmm. right? It's wrapped up in a heavily authoritarian church structure. And I think that, I think that it's not... So here's the thing is I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt because there's a lot of unintentional harm that we do when we're trying to protect people we love. So with my kiddos, there's a, there's no way that they're going to reach adulthood without me doing some harm. (laughs) It's just, it's not possible, right? Does that mean that I intended to harm them? Or does that mean that the harm that I did was based on what I was taught and the gaps in that and the ignorance that I had and, and some of those flawed beliefs that I had was actually what caused the harm, right? It's a very small percentage of people who are abusing for the sake of abuse, right? But we only know, we can only pass on what we know. And so I do think that when we've been taught a very legalistic, fortified, um, highly structured belief system, and someone seems to be kind of coloring outside the lines and wandering away, there's this pressure to save them rather than showing up for them as a human being and knowing that their doubts aren't actually our responsibility. And that's hard. I have teenagers, guys. Mm -hmm. Do you know how hard it is? I've got kids that are looking at colleges. Do you know how hard it is to see them go to a school that I think is academically perfect for them and have them say, I just don't know. I just didn't feel it, but I'm mom and I know what's good for you rather than 
baby, I really think this is the best school for you academically. However, I totally, it's your call. I'm going to trust your gut. Unless I see something that is abusive or mm-hmm. is, you know, actually a, a threat to you, right. it's your call. Like, I, that, like I'm not going to pressure you to go to that place just because I thought they had the best degree, right? Yeah. Are we willing to do that with people when it comes to spirituality? Are we willing to set aside our own desire to be the mentor that keeps people safe mm-hmm. and let them be unsafe if that's what they need? And again, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about you know self-harm or life-threatening situations. I'm just talking about yeah. normal day-to-day spiritual life. Yeah. Maybe safety in that isn't as valuable as we were taught, just like certainty. Maybe maybe that's not actually the goal. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I think you've named why, why then it's so, why the process can feel so scary to people, right? Because if I'm, <clears throat> if, if, if for me, my sense of spiritual safety, for example, is tied up in my certainty about these doctrines or the this way of looking at God or this theology, then for me to, accompany you on a journey of questioning those things is implicitly me affirming that journey in some way and probably requires me to become a little less certain in my certainty, right? It requires me to become like, oh, well, like maybe safety is not to be found in certainty. And and then what that, what does that mean for me? That's, I think, where it starts to get really scary for people and what makes it very difficult to calibrate the kind of freedom and empathy that you're talking about there. in that example with your daughter, it makes it very difficult to calibrate that because it requires me to go on a, on a journey myself. Yeah. Right. And, and dissonance is very triggering when we're taught Mm -hmm. that, that certainty is holiness. Right. Um, But what happens is if we're walking through the world day to day and we're not feeling any sort of dissonance, we have completely disconnected. We have absolutely, there is no way in this election year that you can walk around on a day-to-day basis and not experience dissonance. Because as we get closer and closer to the election, the conversations are going to be more heightened because there's more at stake. It doesn't matter what political side you're on. Like that's just where we're living right now. It's what happened during COVID. Right. This, it's what happens in these times of high pressure. So am I willing to work out whatever I've got going on with my dissonance or am I confident that my dissonance is your fault and we need to fix it? <laughs> mm. Right. Right. Am I willing to do my own work or am I just the victim of your bad choices, even though they don't actually have any impact on me? They're hard questions. There's no, there's no simple straight path through these questions other than doing our own work with people who will call us out on what we're getting wrong. Yeah. Yeah. As you're talking, Angela, I'm thinking about the people in my life who I know who've gone through some sort of faith crisis. And at some, some points in my life, I took it personally, like as a personal failure, like I was taking too much responsibility for who they were. Uh, at some points in my life, it felt like, um, it made what I 
believed less certain. Like, oh, if they don't believe it, then maybe I'm wrong too. There's all kinds of ways that I think I have internalized other people's journeys. Um, but you talk in this book, uh, in the second section, you kind of move towards ways that we journey through what you use the metaphor of wilderness to describe mm-hmm. this time. And you talk about um, something called embodied curiosity as one of the ways we walk through the wilderness. Can you say more about what that is? Yeah, absolutely. And words are so important. And so one of the things that I work really hard to do with my clients is make sure that we're finding words that fit their unique situation. And one of the trends that I've seen over and over, one of the things that was true about my story is that I was trying to solve things from the ears up. right? I'm really smart. And if I just get enough knowledge, if I just go rack up enough student loans, I'll have these things figured out. I'll have that certainty that I'm chasing. But in the process, I really disconnected from everything below the ears. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, embodiment's just a buzzword. But here's the thing is, if we believe that we were created by someone who literally breathes life into us and is present in every cell of our body. How can we have an intimate relationship with that creator if we're disconnected from 90% of our body, right? This is especially challenging for people who have complex relationships with our body, people who have uh, disabilities, people who have experienced physical trauma, whether that's medical trauma or assault. Like there's just this whole bunch of us walking around from the ears up and not knowing how to actually get into our bodies and treat our bodies like human beings rather than some sort of meat suit. I have a friend who calls it our meat suit, right? <laughs> it's not just our meat suit, right? It's it's not just this thing that carries our brain around. There's a soul. There's an intuition. There are There are ways that the rest of our body carries memory. Um, There are things that our body will pick up on well before our brain will pick up on. And if we're going to be curious and we're going to explore the world without 90% of our body, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really, in most cases, it's going to be really unfulfilling because we've got this internal dissonance. So learning how to connect with your body, learning how to get therapy, learning how to do the things that are going to to help you release the trauma and the, the Mm. heal, the tender spaces in your body, it makes us better learners. It allows us to be curious with open hands and it keeps those defenses from getting triggered so easily. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, it really is whole body healing rather than just, I'm really smart. So I'm going to read some stuff and then I'll figure this out. And now a word from a sponsor. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, let's get back into our conversation. Can, can I ask just to connect yeah, to something please. earlier? You've yeah. You've sort of exhorted us several times, Angela, about doing our own work. Yeah. Is this what you're describing? Is this what you're talking about? Like, not only do we have to do our work with people who have authority and a modicum of responsibility for others, but also that's one of the ways through through deconstruction is to be is to continue or begin to do that work. Yeah, I think that there's this. I, I don't know. It's it, we're really setting people up for failure for failure when we say you can be a leader and not do your own work. Right? You can come mm-hmm. through trauma and help other people come through trauma without going to therapy, Mm. (laughs) right? Like, it's like saying, I'm going to be a chef and I'm going to cook for you and you're going to experience these wonderful meals, but I'm never going to eat. It's ridiculous, right? But it's the same type of thing. So do we have mentors who are willing to challenge us when we're being jerks? (laughs) Do we have loved ones, Christy, like you were saying, do we have loved ones that'll read something and be like, yeah, this seems healthy to me. If it's landing, maybe it's something internally you need to work on, right? Do we have people surrounding us who are willing to say, you're really overextended and you're starting to get cranky. You need to take some time off. I don't care if it's in your budget. You need to walk away and take a beat because you're burning out and you're hurting people. Mm. Do we have... um, you know, yeah, there's information, but do we have actual humans that are surrounding us Mm -hmm. and allowing us to be messy humans without saying, oh, you're broken. Here's how I'm going to fix you. That's good. That actually makes me think there's a section in your book about attachment and mothering, right? And and it, and I think that relates to kind of what we're talking about, but it, it relates to, to deconstruction. Can you just kind of double click on that? Yeah. For us? So at first, it's really important to know when I'm talking about mothering in the book or any conversations we're having that I'm not talking about this fundamentalist, um, you know, mom sort of thing. Um, what I'm mm-hmm. talking about is sort of this archetypal version of mother, and I mean God as mother, right? Like mm-hmm. this idea that there is this ability to nurture ourselves and to care for tender spaces, um, to care. We talk about working on, on our childhood a lot. Like there's a really good chance that there were places in everyone's childhood where they didn't have the nurturing and the safety that they needed. Maybe it was just a little flash in the pan. Maybe it was their whole childhood, right? Being able to mother ourselves is that, uh, like we talked about earlier, the, the grandmother's hand saying, sweetie, it's going to be okay. Mm. Um, it's, saying, okay, when I was X years old, um, a parent left um, and I didn't get that, that nurturing from them and times were really hard. So what did I need then? And how can I create that now? Hmm. Learning to play, learning to find joy, learning, I mean, how to walk in the mud, like how to just going outside and taking your shoes off and splashing in a rain puddle. If our ch- if our, our our younger versions were not able to do that, then we missed out on something um, that is so pure and so joy filled 
that there's a little piece of us that's longing for that. Mm. So, so mothering is that tender, compassionate care um, without insisting that we are always performing or producing. That's another thing in deconstruction. We have to unplug from this idea that every day when I wake up, I'm going to be a little further along in deconstruction. And I'm going to be a little closer to certainty. And oh, that's mm. exhausting. That's capitalism. That's not what faith is, <laughs> right? Like, uh, unplug. Nobody's yeah. grading you on this. There is no yeah. end of of uh, you know end of the day project. You don't have to yeah. report out. Like, mm. just being yes. present and learning how to love ourselves is something that's really challenging for most of us, yeah. and probably will always be challenging on some level. Right. I mean, and your sort of side comment there about capitalism. I think is actually really poignant for this reason is like so many of us, I mean, all of us are yeah. formed within this system where that is the measure of our worth is your mm -hmm. productivity, your ability to, you know, contribute something tangible to the bottom line. You know, all of that goes into, um, yeah. it's all overlapping all of this stuff. And so, uh, and a lot of, it overlaps with a lot of what we talk about on this podcast too. So yeah, um, I think your, your comments about this are really helpful Thank you. in that regard. Um, maybe as we, uh, start to look towards, uh, bringing this to a close, we could uh, pull a few threads together. I'm wondering, um, you know, I, I think it probably, some of this stuff about, um, attachment and mothering mm -hmm. and kind of learning mm -hmm. to give ourselves what we, uh, didn't get perhaps, um, when we were younger. Um, I think that is part of this, but I, I wonder if you can expand on it, um, of just kind of going from the posture of needing to be certain Mm -hmm. to a more open-handed posture about life, about our beliefs, about all that kind of stuff. And, and we've already talked about how it can be so scary for, for a lot of people. Um, I wonder if you could just share with us what you've learned that helps people make this shift, to help them make that shift well. Uh, what have you learned through your work in coaching and you know writing this book? And well else? is a relative term. <laughs> okay, right? that's like, helpful to know. I'm yeah. glad you didn't say easy because it's not, yeah. right? Like anytime we're rewiring our brains, especially mm -hmm. the older we get, that when we're re rewiring our brains and we're changing behavior, yeah. it it's a lot of heavy lifting, right? Yes. It's a lot of hanging out with Ben and Jerry's ice cream and going out in the woods and stomping mm -hmm. around and like just navigating hard stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I, what I would say is that what helps a lot of times is getting out of our head a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if, if we're not connected with our body, like we always talk about, you know, deep breathing or gentle stretching or different things like that. Those are absolutely helpful. But sometimes we are so locked up that we can't even get there. Right. So there's some, there's some different activities that we can use to help people kind of, yes, do the deep breathing, but just, start to settle into yourselves. That's a phrase I use a lot. Settle into your body. Don't ask, don't ask why or what, just try to feel a little bit and whatever you can tolerate, feel, feel that much and then walk away and it's okay. Right. Again, you're not trying to like go from zero to 60 in one day. If that feels really hard, hmm. like it, it did for me, the other thing that can be really helpful is when you just kind of get stuck in your head on something like certainty, like I need certainty. If I'm not certain about something, I'm doing something wrong. I'm letting God down. Like if I don't have the right answers, uh, my congregants are that, that something bad's going to happen to them because I'm not like, as I'm even talking, I can feel the anxiety rising. Yeah. 
there's a couple of questions that are really big disruptors. One is, who taught you that? Where, like, where does that come from? And then Amanda Waldron, who's also a, a therapist and an author and a faith deconstruction coach, a couple years ago, she said, who does that benefit? And I still get chills when I think about that first moment that she said that I was like, oh, that's good, right? Yeah. Who, who does it benefit for me to, to, to protect the uncertainty that is real and inside me? Who, who benefits from that? Because it's obviously not me. Is it my family? Do my kids actually benefit from thinking that I have all the right answers and can respond to every situation quickly and efficiently? If you're a pastor, like, do, do you expect everyone in your congregation to have all the answers? Do you expect everyone on your team to have all the answers? Do you expect yourself to have all the answers? Hmm. Why? Where did that come from? Who does that benefit? Like, what it does is it gets, it breaks that loop. It breaks that cycle, which limiting beliefs is a big cycle. Um, we think something and then we kind of make it happen because we're cutting off all of our other options and it just reinforces that belief and it, it becomes deeper and deeper every time. It breaks that cycle by saying, okay, this cycle, this thing I'm kind of spinning around in my head might not actually be the only thing. It might not be the only option. So what I used a lot early in my deconstruction was like, oh, what else is there? What else might be true? Like if what else is there is too scary, what else might be there? What else might be true? Yeah. Is there something I'm not seeing? Because there almost always is. So just little questions like that that are not easy to answer start, start to, to kind of peel away those layers of of that false sense that's that certainty is essential to the work that we're doing. You know, I've often asked people, what would it look like if that thought that you had, whatever that the thing that's being deconstructed in your mind and in your body and in your heart, what if, what if you treated that thought with compassionate curiosity? What would change? What would that look like? And try to help them imagine like a different way than just judgment and shame and, you know, all that. So that's just good. Yeah. Angela, I think that's a good word for us to end on. There's a, there's a cultural pressure, a societal uh, demand that any of these things that happen, that we resolve and fix them as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And what I, what your book invites us into and what you've actually proclaimed to us today here on this podcast is, um, that just may be that just may be capitalism. Yeah. Just chill out, people, and and allow the work, the <laughs> process. There's no you can't microwave this. Exactly. Right. And so uh, let let something good be birds in you, and it may take nine months or more. Yeah. 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 And if it's more, it's not because you're doing something wrong. Right. It's because yeah. we're human beings, and that's just how it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, in a world where we lose our biscuit waiting more than 10 seconds for a Whopper, this is a hard saying, but it's needed very much. Angela, thank you for this book. It's again called Deconstructing Your Faith Without Losing Yourself. If people are interested in connecting with you or interacting with you or reading stuff you've done, where could they find you online? Yeah, the easiest way to find me is on my website, AngelaJHarrington.com, and it's H-E-R-R. 
I-N-G-T-O-N. Um, there's uh, information about the book there. There's lots of blog posts. If you're not at a place where you can order the book or you can hire a coach and you're just like, I just need to, in silence in the middle of the night, I need to snoop around a little bit. There's lots of articles on there um, that'll be helpful. And then I also have a, a free Facebook community. If you want to come in and ask questions or just listen, the thing I love about that, especially for people in leadership positions, is we have the ability for you to ask anonymous questions. So it mm -hmm. takes that that risk of losing your job and it takes some of those things yeah. off the table. Um, but it also gives you a space to see that you're not alone in this and you're going to be okay. It may yeah. be hard, but you're going to be okay. Yep. Right. Or you can just lurk, right? Lurk Absolutely. Y'all would be amazed how many pastors are in there. <laughs> I, I see them when they come in, there's a lot of leaders in there and there's, yeah. it is, even if you never say a word and just lurk and listen, ugh, it is so encouraging to know that you're, there's not something wrong with you, yeah. that this is a good space to be in and good things are going to come from it. It's as good of a space as Zuckerberg's billion dollar cash grab can <laughs> offer. Yeah, I'd rather we all meet in my living room, but 3,000 people won't fit there. So for now, yes. yeah. we're just yeah. going to use the metaverse. <laughs> Angela, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been great. You know, when Angela was talking about needing a grandma, mm -hmm. I thought of I thought of when my parents got divorced, when I was six, my mom took me and my two sisters, or seven, and it was in the middle of the winter, and we, and, we, and we drove in our car when my parents got separated to my grandparents' house, which was five minutes away. And um, I remember that my grandma would get out her hair dryer and pull back the covers in my bed and blow the hot air dryer on my sheets to warm them up so that when I got into bed, it was warm. Oh, and I remember receiving that action in that time of my life as with, with, it was such a demonstration of like care mm -hmm. when I, my little, seven-year-old heart was breaking. Yeah. And when she said that, you know, people who are going through deconstruction need a grandma, I thought, what, like, how would, how different would it be if when we saw people struggling with their faith, we were there with a hairdryer and cold, on cold sheets, yeah. you know, instead of uh, showing up with a search warrant. Yeah. And a, and a, Billy Club. <laughs> you know? It's a really good visual, Matt. Well, that's what I thought of immediately. And my grandma is probably, she has congestive heart failure. She's 94. She's dying. And she's living with my aunt. So she's dying with family. She's probably going to pass in the next several weeks. Wow. Um, and I, I just, I just wonder how different listener how different would it be if someone met you with uh, grandma energy <laughs> in the midst of your faith crisis? Yeah, and I, I just, I just want to 
wish that over all of us. I want to invoke that for us. Like there, there, that kind of energy, you know, grandmas have seen everything. <laughs> They've had kids go through what you're going through. Now you're going through it again. They understand, they have perspective. Yeah. They understand that it both feels like the end of the world and it's not, but they don't belittle you or demean you for feeling like it's the end of the world. So they're able to connect with you, but also you're able to trade off of their courage. Yeah. You know? And I, I just, I don't know, I just, I, I just pray that over our listeners. Yeah. I, I pray that if, if you are in a place of authority and power, that you too can someday grow up to be a grandma <laughs> with me and Ben <laughs> and Christy. <laughs> and also if you are a person who feels like you could use a deconstruction coach, that you would find someone who will be as tender and as present to you as what Angela was describing. Yeah. 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 That's what I was thinking of. Well, maybe we just end with the benediction then. Yeah. That and sounds... no dad joke. And just. I think Christy is, she's, she's bracketing out the dad joke, Matt. I'm bracketing it out, Matt. You have to, you have to and, listen to her. And uh, mm. Ben, maybe just give us a benediction. All right. All right. I will give a benediction. Uh, listener, may God's love be tangibly present to you in this moment and in moments of faith crisis, as tangibly present as recently warmed sheets. Mm. Yeah. A comforting covering of grace. And may God's voice sound to you like a grandmother's knowing and gentle voice telling you that everything is going to be okay. Amen. Amen. What do you get when you rub two oranges together? Pulp friction. See you, listener. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, Christy's not going to do these podcasts anymore. Delete that part. Delete it. It's, we could. We definitely could. Oh, man. Well, there you have it, listener. All right. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, please tell your friends about it. Word of mouth is the best advertising. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. To join discussions about the podcast and lots more, join us in the Gravity community. It's free to join, and you can connect with other listeners to the podcast that talk about faith, spirituality, and whatever else comes up. Also, Ben and I hang out there a lot. To join, go to gravitycommons.com slash community. The Gravity Podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his mixing, engineering, and production work at aaronsternke.com. And we'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravitycommons.com slash message and click the Start Recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravitycommons.com. Catch you next time. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to, no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E, 2-0.